light of the world given for us. Again, I'm glad that you're here this morning. I'm glad that we have this time together to worship, to set our mind and our attention on the things that matter for eternity. Now, there was a pastor I heard about recently who was preaching on his New Year's Eve service, and it was one of those days. It had been a long time gathering, getting ready for Christmas, and his mind was kind of scattered. And when he began to preach, his sermon went quite long, and his thoughts were pretty scattered, and he kind of rambled on, and it was difficult to follow. I know that y'all aren't accustomed to that here. That was a joke. Please smile. Um, yeah, I might be offended if you don't smile. Please laugh a little bit. No, I'm kidding. But he was greeted after the service. One of his members came up and said, Listen, your sermon tonight reminded me of God's peace and love. And of course, he was very touched. And he said, Wow. Well, thank you. That's encouraging. How did my sermon remind you of God's peace and love? And she said, well, like the peace of God, it was beyond understanding. And like the love of God, it seemed to endure forever. (laughs) And so I'm hoping that this morning, we won't have one of those types of messages. I do have some wonderful truths to share. And I want us to make sure that we're kind of dialed in to know exactly what Christmas is about in this celebration. Um, It is a Christmas service, and it's the day after Christmas. But I've got to tell you... For believers, the Christmas celebration is a celebration all the time. It is a celebration that is indeed ongoing. It's not limited to one day. And for those of us who have embraced the truths of Christmas, it is a continual celebration. God has given us the greatest gift, the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. And in so doing, He has accomplished what we cannot. He has, Scripture says, qualified us. To share in the inheritance of the saints in lives. He's made us into something that we could not make ourselves. And we have so much to celebrate at Christmas time. I hope your celebrations have been like ours. We have enjoyed the food and the gifts and the family coming in and the kindness of strangers and the food and the remembering old memories and the making of new memories and the food and the, the many different Things that we have really just embraced and enjoyed this Christmas. And it is right that we enjoy these celebrations this side of heaven. Ecclesiastes 3 says, Everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toll. This is God's gift to man. And So at our house we had the distinct pleasure of having all the kids and the grandkids gathered together at one time. We were, there was this feeling of celebration all weekend long. We were eating and playing games and having pictures made and eating and looking at decorations and giving and receiving gifts and eating and we, it was all a precious time together. Heaven's going to be a lot like that. Now we did miss people. Miss Norma and Mr. Bob, Suzanne's parents, are already in heaven. We miss their presence, and there's some sorrow there. There were some family members that we did not get to see, extended family members, because of scheduling and plans and other circumstances. And so there's some sorrow, and in heaven, there will be no sorrow, only joy. And the truth of Christmas is more than the celebration of a baby being born. It is the celebration that God has given us perfectly, His Son, the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, Jesus, the Lord, the giver of life, eternal life. He is called various titles and names, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Redeemer. He is the restorer of relationships. He is the one who reconciles mankind with God. 
And as Scott taught us during the season of Advent this season, and the gift of Jesus Christ brings us hope. We rejoice in the hope that we have in Him. Peace. Peace with God. We can approach the throne of God without fear because of the peace we have with the Father. And the peace that He allows us to have with one another. Joy. Joy that remains regardless of the circumstances that we face. Joy that is not like happiness that comes and goes depending upon your circumstances, but that fills you in a a great sense, in a great reality, great way, becomes your strength. And then love. Perfect love. Unconditional love. Love that casts out fear. And these realities, these promises, they're a big deal. Never more than now. Because they're promises delivered by a faithful God. He is not a man that he should lie. He is incapable of it. And what he says he will do, he always does. We see this in the more than 300 prophecies already fulfilled in the Old Testament about his son, Jesus Christ. These are promises delivered by a loving God who loved us when we were not His, who loved us when we were enemies, ungodly, rebelling against Him, displayed in Christ. These are the perfect gift wrapped up in Jesus, God's Son, the Messiah. So we do gifts at Christmas. By the way, I'm a fan of that, by the way. I think you ought to give gifts. Gifts are a way of demonstrating your love to others. It is also characteristic of God that He is a giver, and as His children, we are givers. But we give gifts also to commemorate the greatest gift. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He does not change, and every good and perfect gift comes from God, James reminds us. Now the gift that God gives us is a gift that addresses a problem. It solves a problem. We know that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Would you agree with me that there's sorrow and there's pain? There are things that characterize the world that we would say are not good things. You didn't need me to tell you that. You already know as much. Because in a very real sense, our lives are not the way they're supposed to be. God had something else in mind. It was on His mind in the beginning when He went around creating the world and everything in it. His vision, His reality that He created was one that is described in Hebrew as shalom. We translate that word peace, but it means so much more. It means wholeness and flourishing and interconnectedness. It means those things that are just right. The way things are intended to be. It means a right relationship with God and right relationship with others and a right relationship with all of creation. But sin made a mess of things. Sin disrupted this peace. It fractured the relationships. And we know that things aren't as they should be, like we wish they would be. We have a problem with God because of sin. And we have problems with each other because of sin. That's how the Bible starts. You remember, you don't get but three chapters in, actually less than three chapters in, until we find out there are lots of problems that are taking place and we find the root of those problems. It starts with one test in the garden. God, to Adam and Eve, says, listen, here's a test of loyalty. I want you to trust me. I want you to recognize that I am God and that I love you. And I want you to obey me, obedience as a sign of your trust, that I will be the giver of all good and perfect gifts and I will meet every need. And so here's the test. There's one tree that you can't eat of. It's the tree of the knowledge of Good and evil. Now, there are other trees there, including the tree of life. But I want you to trust me to be your God, to love you, to pour out good gifts upon you. 
But we know the story. They, they said no. They rebelled against God and were cast out of, of the garden. No longer access to the tree of life. The peace that had existed between God and people was now broken. And Isaiah, the prophet, describes this in Isaiah 59.2 by saying your iniquities, another word for sin, your transgressions, your iniquities, your sins have separated between you and your God. And he's turned his face from you. There's a separation that has taken place. When we think about these truths and when you see the promises that God has made for thousands of years regarding His answer to that problem, His solution, His Son, Jesus, the advent of His Messiah, His anointed one, then we, thoughtful people, people exposed to truth, recognize that's why we celebrate Christmas. Now, I like babies. I'm a baby guy. I'm, I'm happy with babies. And I love celebrating the birth of, ba- of babies. We got to see little Bristol at Christmas. And she was just precious as she could be. She's some number of months old. I'm not sure quite how many. Uh, it, thank you, six. <laughs> and uh, just babies are fun. Babies are especially fun when their parents are close by. So that you can hand them off when you need to. But babies are great. And, and I'm a baby guy. I love babies. And I love celebrating the birth of babies. I have a, we have a brand new uh, what niece. My brother's son had a baby. And so uh, just a great niece. And so it's nice having babies in the family. I, 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 I certainly wish that for all of you to be able to celebrate the birth of a child at some point, either yours or another's, where you get to hold and love a baby. But i got to tell you, what we celebrate at Christmas is more than a baby in a manger. It's more than just a child that was born. This is the baby, the child of God, born to grow up and to solve the problem that our sin has created between God and man. Now, this was the expectation of the Old Testament. I don't know if you like to wait on things, but sometimes it's really hard to wait. It's hard to wait for a promise that you know is going to be fulfilled. There are a lot of illustrations for this at Christmas time. I will let you guys fill in the blank with your own illustration rather than taking time. But we know what it's like. The expectation of the Old Testament was that they were looking for this promised deliverer The sin that we have recorded in Genesis chapter 2 and the consequence in Genesis chapter 3 includes what theologians call the proto-angelion, the first gospel, the first hint or inclination or declaration of the gospel where God told Eve that her heel would bruise, that the the seed, her seed would, would bruise the head of the serpent. It is the promise that we see unfolded throughout history where we see the promise of the coming Messiah. That's what Philip told his friend Nathaniel after he had met Jesus. He said, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Big deal. We've been hearing about this, and the prophets have foretold this. In the songs, we sing songs about this, and we, we anticipate the arrival of the Messiah. And now, Philip says to Nathaniel, We found him. He is here. Two weeks ago, we sang the song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. It was a hymn written by Charles Wesley. And in it, he captured the Old Testament longing with words like this, You are Israel's strength and consolation, the hope of all the earth thou art. 
dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. And after waiting centuries from the first promise, at just the right time, Christ came. Christmas came. The Bible describes it by using the phrase, the fullness of time. Jesus is the only Savior. And the Apostle Paul encapsulates this so well in Galatians chapter 4 when he writes, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. There's your family word. We might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then also an heir through God. Jesus came because He is the only Savior. He is the only means of salvation. He is what John the Baptist called the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Again, in Galatians, just being reminded that God, at the fullness of time, at just the right time, sent forth His Son to be born of a woman. And His name shall be called Jesus. Why Jesus? Because it means the Lord saved. He shall save His people from their sins. In order that we, being saved from our sins, being washed, cleansed, and forgiven, are adopted as sons. We are no longer viewed by God through the lens of our own sin. It's not that God is blind. It's that He willingly places Christ between us and places us in Christ and places Christ in us. This is an amazing truth. And I want us to grasp this because our iniquities have separated between us and our God. We can blame it on Adam and Eve and the Bible very clearly says as by one man sin entered the world so death has passed on to all men for all have sinned. And yet you and I stand guilty. We stand guilty by our own choices, by the desires of our own heart by the nature that is born within us and by the choices that we make. Guilty, separated from God. And here comes Jesus on the scene. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, laid in a lowly manger. And He is the means by which, He is the person through which He unites man, sinful man, and God Holy God. And He joins us together through what He accomplished, not only in His birth, but in His sinless life, in His sacrificial death, in His triumphal resurrection, in His exciting ascension, and ultimately, in His second coming, in His return. This is a babe, but it is a babe like no other. That is why we can rejoice with the shepherds and with the angels We can wholeheartedly join in the angels saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace with whom He is pleased. The story of creation, of Christmas, begins at creation. It takes a deadly turn at the fall in in Genesis. It encompasses the provinces through the prophets. It erupts in the history of Bethlehem in a stable. It was announced to shepherds and sometime later, It was honored by the Magi, Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, a babe like no other. It's what the angel told Joseph in Matthew. She, Mary, will bear a son, 
And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And she gave birth, according to Luke 2, we just read a moment ago, to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, a babe like no other. Now, all of this for many of us will seem like simply a rehearsal of truths that we've heard all of our life. But that makes it no less true. And it makes it no less important that we dig deep into these passages of Scripture, that we do like Mary did, take all these things and ponder them in our heart. This babe was a precious babe. He was the perfect Lamb of God. But there's something that's very unique about this baby. He was fully God and fully human. When the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the church at Philippi, he was encouraging them to be humble. And his example of humility was Christ itself. When he said, he, though he was equal with God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, he emptied himself, he humbled himself. He uses, many theologians use the word, he condescended to come to earth. R.G. Lee was a great preacher of the last century, and he writes it like this. What a Savior. From the heights of glory to the depths of shame. From the wonders of heaven to the wickedness of earth. From exaltation to humiliation. From the throne to a tree. From dignity to debasement. From worship to wrath. From the halls of heaven to the nails of earth, from the coronation to the curse, from the glory place to the gory place, our Savior came. In Bethlehem, humility and glory in their extremes are joined together. Born in a stable, cradled in a cattle trough, wrapped in swaddling clothes of poverty, no room, For the one who made all the rooms, are you going to rescue us from burning down, Cody? Thank you. Why don't you uh, blow them all out except for the Christ candle? (laughs) Yeah, thank you. You never know what you're going to get when you come to worship. But it's going to be good. Thank you, Cody. I appreciate that. (laughs) Christ, grace and glory displayed on the cross. Displayed in His life. Displayed in His birth. He was fully God. But He's also fully man. He was human. The, The writer of Hebrews says that the children share in flesh and blood. He Himself also likewise partook of the same things. And he did it for a specific reason. He did it through his death. That he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. It's amazing to me that he was fully man. When he got tired, he was tired. When he was hungry, he hungered. When he was pressed upon by the crowds. When he had a full schedule. He he was fully human and yet fully human without sin. Tempted in every manner just as we are. Yet without sin. While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ 
died for us. You get this, right? Pre-existent God through all eternity condescends and humbles himself to be born of a virgin, to be born in what the hymn writers have called lowliest state, laid in a manger, to be raised, to live perfectly, but with a clear destination in mind. He's going to the cross. He's going there willingly, motivated by His love for you and me. The perfect Lamb of God. To pay the penalty for all sin. For your sin, for my sin. For all sin. The wrath of God poured out on Him so that His righteousness and His life might be poured out in us. Imputed to us. It's amazing. This is the message of Christmas. Yes, it starts in a manger. And yes, it encompasses His perfect life. It changes history at the cross. And it moves through an empty tomb to an ascension. And it points to the second coming. A second advent. He's coming back. He is coming again. The world is not as it should be. But it will be. (laughs) Did you get this? The world is not as it should be. But it will be. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes and he talks about how the earth groans with travail, anticipating the time when the curse will be removed. Not, not only from creation, but it will be removed completely. And there will be a new Jerusalem. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. We have His forgiveness and His presence and His power now. We have hope and peace and joy and love now. But now we see through a glass darkly, then face to face. Now we know in part, but then we'll know even as also we are known. Right now, it is, I'll use the phrase, a long distance relationship. Yes, the Holy Spirit indwells us. And yes, we can know Him fully. And yes, it is an intimate relationship. But it is not what it's going to be. When He comes again. When He comes again, we will see Him face to face and we will know what David sang when he sang that in the presence of God there is fullness of joy. At His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That day is coming. There's a promise. It's 363 days to Christmas 2022. We don't know when the Lord is coming back. But we know it's going to be soon. It could be at any time. And we can trust in His coming All because of Christ. And so, we're going to close this part of the service simply by reminding us, hey guys, Christmas is a time of celebration. It is a time of joy. It is a time of singing. It is a time of laughter. It is a time of rejoicing. Today is December the 26th. We can, regardless of how accurate the dates are, be like the shepherds, not on their way to the stable, but as they left. We've met Christ. We've seen the babe in a manger. More than that, we know the Christ who lived perfectly and who paid the penalty for sins on the cross and who defeated death by being resurrected and who now sits at the right hand of the Father and that He's coming again and we are to carry on this celebration. Christmas time is a time of real celebration, of His birth, His life, His death, His resurrection, and His soon return. And we can do this all because of what He accomplished on the cross. And so that's what we celebrate now.